Morning. Welcome here on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Pastor Tim is up in uh, upstate New York. His, uh, his mother passed away, unfortunately, back in uh, a couple months ago during the winter. And so they're up having a memorial service for her uh, in New York this weekend. And so they got the whole family together and doing a service. So he had asked me to, to come and preach this morning. So I accepted and I'm here. And uh, I'm, uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm Daniel Cook or Dan Cook, uh, elder here at March Street. And just uh, finishing up my first term, which is three years long, and uh, the very first year I was an elder, Pastor Tim sent an email to all the elders asking for any, uh, any input, any suggestions on what, he, what would be a good idea for a sermon series. And as it so happened, my wife and I had been having a conversation the week or two before that, and she had been talking about how neat it would be to hear a sermon series on Paul's missionary journeys, or, or something to do with missions. And so I wrote back on my computer, I got out of there and typed back and said, I think it'd be a great idea to do a sermon series on the book of Acts. And just go through uh, Paul's missionary journeys, the start of the church, tie in our missions program with that, um, and talk about some of the things that the early church really struggled with as they got started. And uh, wrote that email to him, and he thanked me for this suggestion. I never heard anything back about it again for a while, and then a year or so later, we started the, the sermon series in X. So uh, four years from now, if you have children or grandchildren or anyone graduating high school or college and we're still in the book of X, you can thank me. <laughs> Sorry about that. Maybe next time I'll ask for a sermon series on the book of Jude or something. We can <laughs> make that last four weeks. Uh, we're, we're in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16 today. This is our third uh, sermon on this chapter, and we got one more to go after this. Uh, but this, is, uh, this takes place during Paul's second missionary journey. If you don't know, he had four missionary journeys that we know of, and the first three are his main ones. His last one was kind of a last tour before he was uh, arrested again for the second time. And so this second one, the first one, he really toured... Uh, what we know is Turkey today, Asia Minor, and started the churches there. And then the second one, he circled back and, and met with them again. But then this time, as we, we heard from Pastor Kyle two weeks ago, he was called into what we know as Greece. And so he begins in this chapter, his tour of Greece, and he starts at the top and begins working his way down towards Athens. And then the third journey, he, he comes back around again and revisits all these churches, but he spends more time in a couple of them, like Ephesus. So but here in the second missionary journey, uh, Paul is with Silas, and he has ju just met up with Timothy, which we heard about last week, so he joins them. And then we also see that because Luke is the author of Acts, and as Pastor Tim pointed out last week, he goes from talking about they to we, that means that Luke also now joined them. So the four of them head over to Macedonia, or Greece, and they land uh, at one city and travel immediately over on the highway to Philippi. Philippi is going to be a church that is one of Paul's favorites. It's in a wealthy area, and this church was started here in this chapter. Uh, Philippi is named after King Philip II. If you don't know who he is, he is the father of Alexander the Great, and they named the city after him, and there was a gold mine there, and King Philip took a lot of the gold from this mine and built his army, which when he, he died, he turned it over to his son, who went and conquered the world. 
So that's how he got his start here in Philippi, named after him. Another huge event took place in history years later. After Julius Caesar was assassinated, there was a battle for who would take over. And uh, four people emerged, and the two of them teamed up with each other and battled it out here at Philippi on the plains right, right outside the city. So that was, um, was Brutus and Cassius and Mark Antony and Octavian. And Octavian ended up being the one that became the first emperor of Rome. And he changed his name to Caesar Augustus, which we know from the Bible as the Caesar that was there when Jesus was born. He's the one that called the census, and they all went back to their hometowns where they were born, which was Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. And so that's, that's where we are in history. Philippi would end up becoming a church that would be beloved by Paul. He would write about it. He wrote a letter to them, just remembering them fondly and all their support. In fact, even as a church plant, we're going to see in this chapter, when they send Paul and Silas away, they send them with a gift to help them start the next church in Thessalonica. So this church became prominent in the early church. And it's an unorthodox way in which it got started here, we're going to see. Let's go ahead and uh, just stand together and read this passage. Acts chapter 16, we're going to read verses 11 to 24. Acts 16, verses 11 to 24. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we, re we remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had get come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said to these, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fasten their feet in the stocks. You may, you may be seated. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray to you this morning, uh, coming here to worship you. We pray that you would open our hearts to your word, that you would speak to us, and that we would carry that, what you speak to us, with us as we leave. 
and live it out this week. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things about Philippi is that it says in the scriptures that it was a colony of Rome. That means that after this big battle and Octavian became the emperor, he rewarded his soldiers, many of whom were, you know, come from poorer places in life, to come and uh, settle this city and become Roman citizens. Um, that's going to play out at the end of this chapter, you'll see, when Paul and Silas are in prison. But they had a deep understanding of being a citizen living in a land, but being a citizen of a foreign land. And Paul even talked about that in Philippians, that we are here on this earth, in this world, but we are citizens in heaven. And he used that as an illustration uh, for the gospel and living out, it out in this life. But as uh, the, the missionaries were going through Asia Minor, which is Turkey, there were many, many uh, Jewish synagogues and Jews there, and every time they went to a city, that was their, always their approach to go and find the synagogue and meet with them and share the gospel with the Jews there first because they already had an understanding of God. And it was easier to share it with them also because they were commanded to go to the Jews first and then also to the Greek. So, but as they come over into Greece, now we see a big culture shift. We see it in this chapter. We see it in Philippi. They go to Philippi doing the same thing that they always do, but there's no synagogue there. See, in order to have a synagogue, they had to have at least 10 Jewish men to start up and build a synagogue. And there just weren't that many there. Uh, most of these people were now Roman citizens or Gentiles or Greeks, all mixed together. And so they go to the city and there's no synagogue. And so what Jews did, if there was not enough people for a synagogue, is they would always meet near a body of water, a river, uh, any kind of water to uh, be able to purify themselves for the, the, the rituals that they had to do for the Sabbath. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they head out and in search of hoping to find anyone and come to a prayer meeting happening by the river. It's about a mile and a half out, outside the, the city. And here they find, it says, a group of women praying. Now, up until this point, as we see in this, this chapter, this church was started, you could say, by a group of women meeting in prayer. The first person to come to know Christ, as recorded in this chapter, is Lydia. She is a wealthy business owner. She's not from Philippi. She moved there with the business that she brought there. And as, as Pastor Tim talked about last week, the, uh, the selling of purple clothes was something that was hard to do. It was a very tedious task, and those who did it, only the wealthy could afford it, and therefore, being a business owner, she was likely very wealthy because she had a huge house and did invite them over afterwards. So here we have a wealthy businesswoman who comes to know Christ, and we're going to see in this chapter the three people that we recorded as coming to hear the gospel and believe are all non-Jewish people, they're all Gentiles, and two of them are women, and that's, that's what we're looking at today. Lydia, the wealthy businesswoman, and a slave girl. I shared this story of how we got into this Acts discussion, not, not because I wanted to draw attention to myself or say I had a great idea or anything like that, but to show you that when you come here on Sunday morning and you hear the sermon that's prepared and brought to you, the preparations for that sermon started about two years ago. God knows what you need to hear. And if you ever come to church here and listen to a sermon and felt like, God, 
was speaking right to you that day, and it was exactly what you needed to hear for this week. It's because God knew what you needed to hear, and he started that two years ago or more. And we, he may, uh, Pastor Tim might mention a current event that happened this week or something like that, but really that, that sermon, that passage, this passage here was, was assigned to me, really. I was asked to preach on it. And all this started weeks ago. He started preparing the sermons. And years ago, he started preparing what we would talk about today. So that's just, I'm just pointing that out to you so that you know when you come here, God, God is putting that ahead of you. And one thing we do when we pray before our sermons, when we pray, we gather the praise team, we pray together each, each Sunday morning, I always pray to prepare the hearts of the people to hear God's word. I, whatever you're going through as you walk through these doors, I pray that God speaks to you wherever you're at. But uh, as we see with Lydia, here she is, she's not from the city, she happens to be there, she happens to be at this place, and if you recall the earlier events of this chapter, Paul and Silas weren't even going to go here. They wanted to go north, up to Asia. And instead, God said no, and he guided them to this place on this day with those people there. God brought them together, and it says, Lydia's heart was opened to hear what they had to say. Lydia was not a Jew. She, was not, she, she had heard about God. She was seeking God. She was even praying to God, but she had not had the gospel yet, and God opened her heart to it. I think of, uh, there's a, in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, it says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Those who seek God, God will make sure that, they get, that he will get the gospel to them one way or the other. I've heard stories of people in the Middle East who've, who've seen visions of God, who had a dream about God, this or that, or they saw a video or they heard a radio program. Somehow God's going to get the gospel to them, I believe. I trust in that. But his primary way of spreading the gospel is through us, his followers. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Lydia was seeking God, and God brought the gospel to her and to her household. God was working sovereignly to bring them together. Back when I was in college, every summer I come back from Bible college. I was, well, I was homeschooled, and then I went to Bible college, so I was pretty sheltered, you could say. And uh, I, I went to work construction which is very much not sheltered. <laughs> and uh, while I was there, I was working in a factory building these the roof trusses that people build roofs out of, the frames for them. And so uh, at one point, I was working as their head sawyer. I, I, I ran this $2 million saw, computerized. It had five different circular blades, and it would cut every angle, and you, you know, just run the wood through it all day. Uh, but being around these men, I just, for the first time in my life, I felt like I, I need to be in God's Word. I need to read. You know, I, I'd grown up in a Christian home, been told you need to do your devotions, and I tried as best as I could. At Bible college, I went to Bible classes and to church and then to devotionals, and all day, every day, that's all I was doing. But here in this job, I felt the need for the first time to be in God's Word. I needed to read it. So I started bringing a New Testament to work, and on my last break of the day, I would go out to the dock 
and by myself and just read for seven minutes. And one day as I came back in, one of the Hispanic workers that worked with me asked me in Spanish, what are you reading? And I, I told him I'm reading the Bible. And he said, La Biblia? Is that what you... And I said, yes, see, sí, yeah. Um, I'm multilingual. Just, and... Uh, <laughs> So uh, I told, uh, he said, can you get one for me in, in Espanol? Yeah, I can, I can do that. So I went to the Gideons, and there was a person from the Gideons. If you don't know, they're the ones that have the Bibles in the hotels, and they hand them out. And, uh, but one of their rules is no one who is clergy is allowed to hand out the Bibles because they want it to be lay people that do it. And they told me they wouldn't give me any Bibles to give out. Finally, I, I kept pressing them. They said, if we give you the Bibles, who knows what happens to them after that. So they handed me the Bibles, and my church ordered some Spanish tracts, and I stuffed them in there. And I go to work with my, uh, my tool belt, and I stuff a couple of these in there every day. And I gave one to that guy. And the next day, two guys came to me asking for what the other guy got. And pretty soon it started to spread. And near the end of the summer, I'm working at this saw, and I had to go back to college in just a couple weeks. And they come up to me and said, can you train this guy to take over for you when you leave? He's a Spanish-speaking guy, but he also speaks English, so he should understand. I said, sure. And I worked with him all week. And he got word of what I was handing out. And so one day he came to me and said, can I have one of those Bibles too? So I, uh, I handed him... Uh, the Bible, and the next day I, I came into work, and he comes walking in with his tool bag over his shoulder, but he, this time he's glowing, it seems like. He's just smiling and radiating, and comes, makes his way straight to me, and he says, I read it, and I prayed. I said, what do you, what do you mean? I said, he said, I read, I read through, the, I read through the, what you gave me, and I prayed last night. I'm a believer. And uh, we just talked, and we shared, and we praised God, and the very next day, they said, ah, he's not going to work out, and they transferred him somewhere else. So God brought him into my path just for that week to receive the gospel, and then moved him on. Um, but I just think of that. God works sovereignly and brings people into our lives, into our path, to hear from us. Sometimes he brings people into our path to speak to us. But God brings people, he moves sovereignly, and I think that speaks to God and his power and his knowledge, but it also speaks to our responsibility that we should be looking for those opportunities that God brings to us. He, plus, he, he places them in our path. He prepares good works for us to do, it says, and we're to do that. And if we're not doing it, we're missing out. We're not living out our full faith. We're not experiencing that full faith that he could be giving to us if we were to live it out. We need, to, we need to be bold because I know, if you, I know me, myself, when I look at people, especially people I don't know, I'm afraid to talk to them because I don't, you know, I, in my mind, I immediately think they're going to reject it or they're not going to listen or that, but we never know what God has been preparing in someone's heart before we even got there. Just like I don't know how God prepared your heart sitting here today. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we see the other girl, the slave girl, in verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days until Paul was very annoyed. Now, when I read that, I think well, she's saying the truth, isn't she? 
A similar experience happened to Jesus as well, but it must have been in some way that it was hindering their sharing of the gospel and probably scaring people away and possibly um, detracting from the validity of what he was saying. So he takes the time to cast out the demon that was in her, and the owners are very upset. And this reminds me of a similar story in Mark chapter 5. I'm going to turn there. Um, you don't have to, but this, this would be a great, one of the best sermons I ever heard that was a, at an outreach event was on this chapter about the, the man that no one could save but Jesus. And Jesus had been on, uh, with his disciples on the ocean. There had been in a huge storm, and he, this is where he had just calmed the waves and right after that, they set foot on the other side of the, uh, the sea. And it says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Now, if you think about this man, terrifying the village nearby, people are afraid of him. People can, you know, resting in a cool evening, they can hear him screaming in the tombs, cutting himself. No one can try to stop him. No one, everyone's given up on him. He's a lost cause. Yet when Jesus comes and casts out the demon, he sends him, in this story, he sends him into the pigs and they run over the cliff and they all die. Instead of the town being thankful for the, what has been done to save this man's life, they're more concerned with the pigs that ran over the cliff. It says in verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to, to depart from the region. And as he, was, he basically gets back into the boat he just hopped out of, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him, but he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Just like this girl in Acts, here her life is saved. This demon, she's released from the bondage that she has with this demon, but the people are more concerned, well, now I'm not making money off of her. So the people that said they cared about her, the only reason she mattered to them was because she made them money. And we live in a world that says it cares about each one of us, but really all we matter to the world is what we give it. And as soon as we're not of any use, we're not of any worth. In fact, some of you may have experienced that being saved out of your sin, being transformed by the gospel, and now you've lost whatever status you had before, you've lost whatever your friends were, uh, because the sin that made you a part of them is no longer there, or no longer one that you want to hold on to. And that's one of the most powerful lies that Satan can give the people of this world. He can give us, if you look at this girl, this was her whole life. This was the meaning that she had, the purpose she had in life was to do this. Her owners affirmed her for what she was able to do. 
She was of value. She had a place in this world, and now that was all gone. But God gives us a new meaning, a new purpose, a new community, a new heart. Hebrews, it, it quotes a verse, a passage from Ezekiel, and then it's repeated later, and it's at chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Another way of saying that, John says it, I will cause you to abide in me. We think of them, uh, often we think of what we call the alphabet community. They, I've heard from people that have left that, that it was the hardest thing to do because everything in their world was wrapped around that, their, their sexual identity. Everything, um, they had a community that supported them, that affirmed them in their, in their uh, lifestyle. And uh, it was just hard to leave it. It's hard to leave that and go to a church, especially when you're told that churches hate you, that God hates you. But that's the exact opposite. The value that this world gives us, it pretends to care for us, but it does not. But God is the one that truly cares for us. He's the one that gives us a real, true meaning in life, true purpose, and a real community. Let's pray.